Lord, I just want to ask that you will bless. Help us to learn, help us to catch a vision, help us to um, be able to take something home that will give us that will give us some success, and help us to um, enjoy the process. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Okay, so I'm going to start out with a few pictures here. This is me, little me. Um, this is when I was maybe I don't know seven or eight. That's in Oregon. So that's me picking huckleberries and um, some of my earliest exposure to fruit. <laughs> Those are wild. No one planted them. And I just included, this is a picture of our homestead where we live now. I won't spend long on it, but um, it's an aerial photo. You can see on the left there, we have our orchard right in here. It's been a big experiment, a laboratory. <laughs> um, so that's just a picture. That's about a half acre. Half acre there, and we've done some experimenting here in this half acre with vines, different things like that. So another picture, this was in 2013. That's my dad and my brother planting fruit trees. Um, actually, that tree didn't make it, but still a doc document. Um, another picture of the orchard, and I'll go through these pretty quickly because these are just um, some pictures early on. More recent have some persimmons and um, my sister holding some apples. But what I would like to start off with is the need for preparation. And the orchard and vineyard both have many benefits. There are spiritual benefits, uh, mental, physical, many benefits. But, um, but from the perspective of a newbie gardener, how do they differ? And I'm, I'm talking about preparation. How do, how, how do you, what is the differences when it comes to preparing for your orchard um, between, you know, preparing for an orchard and preparing for a garden? And these are some of the things I want to point out. With a vegetable garden, you can start with a clean slate each year. So you mess things up one year. Hopefully you don't mess things up, but if you do mess things up, you get a new start the next year. Um, you have a, a relatively quick turnaround time, so you can learn from your mistakes. Um, you can afford to make your own mistakes, and you can correct them next year. And with orcharding, we have a little bit of a different story. Um, with orcharding, you can't always start with a new slate each year. And um, that's partly why it's so important to prepare, to prepare, to do your research, to... Um, it's great to experiment, but start with some things that you know are solid because um, you aren't going to be able to turn around like that, like you will in the, in the garden. You'll live with your decisions for a while. Um, it's, harder to, it's harder to turn around because um, you, your trees don't die at the end of the year. At least you don't want them to die at the end of the year. Um, and and you'll, you'll live with your decisions for a while. So it's good to put in some upfront research and decide what you're going to do strategically. And you'll always learn, but it's, it's really valuable to put in that upfront research. Um, and, then, and then experiment from there as you move forward. You'll save time learning from others' mistakes. And you'll find unique joys and opportunities. The orcharding is, is a whole different, different ballgame from, from growing a vegetable garden. There are a lot of things that... Um, a, lot, a lot of joys in an orchard um, in harvesting fruit. It's sweet. It's beautiful. Um, there are a lot of things that, that are different. It's, it's highly seasonal. You get the rhythm of the seasons, um, even to a greater extent than you do in the garden. So my goal 
is to give you all a jump start. I'm still learning a lot, but I have also learned a lot. And my goal is to learn, is to help you learn from some of the experiences I've had. So you'll, you're still going to make mistakes, but my goal is to get it so that when you put in your trees, you'll be a few steps ahead of the game and you'll be starting with trees that will most likely do well in your area and you'll have a base from which to experiment. So you're not starting with, um, starting with blunders. So you're starting with something that's, that's more or less sound. That, that's my goal for you. And I also talk about, I want you to succeed with your own wild orchard. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about this wild orchard concept. Um, basically, the wild orchard is a, is a concept of it's a concept of using the wild, looking to the wild flora around you. What's growing naturally, what people have been planting that's doing well, and harnessing that in your orchard to plant things that really do well. The reason I have these pictures, these are, this is in, um, out in the northwest. This is just along the highway. It's a tree laden with apples. They're just wild, just growing along the highway. This is in my area. This is a pear tree, completely wild. No one planted it. Um, it's, it's probably actually an escaped, uh, they're not native, but they do so well that, they, that they've escaped and um, they grow wild. So these are concepts, these are things that we can take clues from um, in developing our own wild orchard. Looking, looking at the wild flora, so I just put the wild orchard is a laboratory for, first and foremost. It's a well-adapted orchard. Ideally, it's a low spray or no spray orchard because you're using the natural flora um, to take cues as to what really does well in your area and what you're not going to have to manage so intensively. Um, the, the wild orchard is a, is a culturally rich orchard because very often you will have be growing stuff that you won't find in the grocery store just because you're growing stuff that is regionally adapted. and maybe people in your state or your region of the country know about it but people in other parts of the country don't even know about it because it's it's a regionally adapted um, thing and, it, and um, ultimately it's a fun orchard at least that's the goal so I want to talk a little bit about basic fruit tree anatomy and this is these are some things you're gonna want to have in the back of your mind um, it's just kinda basic information about fruit trees some of you may know this but this is gonna be this is baseline information to have as you go into orcharding. The first thing is that most fruit trees are grafted. I'm sure you've all heard of grafting. Some of you may know what it is. It, it, basically, it's the marriage of two living pieces of tissue. So you have maybe a red delicious apple and a, another type of apple, and you it's, it's possible to make, bind those two together such that they actually grow together into one, into one piece of tissue. But they're two, they're two distinct pieces of tissue. They're still separate in their features. Um, the, the features of the one will, you know, the, the fruit color of the one will still be the same, and the fruit co color of the other will still be the same, but um, they actually weld into one piece of tissue. And the way I like to think about it is interchangeable parts. So with a grafted tree, what you have is you have roots of one variety and you have everything else is another variety. So um, I think of it as interchangeable parts because you can basically choose the roots of the tree that you want. I've got apple roots that are really strong and vigorous. 
big root system. Um, they anchor really well. And I have another tree that has weak roots, but it has really good fruit. With grafting, what you can do is put those two together so you have a tree that has really strong roots and it has really good fruit in one tree. Basically, you have interchangeable parts. And if, you're, if you want another type of fruit, you put another type of um, the top part, which is called the scion. You put another type of uh, scion on the roots and you, and you create a uh, tree that has the strong roots, but it has different fruit. So I like to think of it as interchangeable parts. The rootstock being the best roots. You get to choose whatever roots. You go shopping for roots. You choose the best roots you want. And the scion being the best fruit. And then the idea is the, quote, perfect tree, because you were able to choose the roots and the, and the top separately. So that's the talk a little bit about the concept of grafting. Now, this picture illustrates grafting just a little bit. Um, hope you can see it well. Here we have. Uh, this is actually an, an almond tree, almond, almond peach cross actually, but that's the, the main point that I wanted to illustrate is here we have a tree, and if you will look right down here, we have purple leaves coming up. This is a grafted tree, and the reason we have purple leaves coming up is because those are coming up near the roots. And the roots of this tree happen to be a purple-leafed rootstock. So it's not good to have this shoot coming up. That sucker needs to be cut off. But what it does is it illustrates that we have two types of trees in one here. We have these roots, this rootstock that is um, purple leaves. And we have the scion, which is the part that would produce the nuts. Up here on the top, it's green. So that's just to illustrate the concept for you. Like I said, this would needs to be cut off. But it just illustrates the fact that you have the marriage of two plants in one when you're grafting. So here's a diagram, the grafted tree, uh, the perfect tree. And I'll move on here. Um, another illustration, this is a tree that I grafted last spring. And that is the graft union before I taped it up. So those are the two, the two pieces of wood put together. I wrap tape tightly around it. And a year later, this is what it looks like grown together into one piece of wood you can still see that the you can still see the line right there where they were um, where the division is but it's grown together into one piece of wood okay a little bit more about grafting um, and we'll move on here grafting generates I need to look at you guys grafting generates clonal fruit trees so grafting is one way that you can make a clone of, you can make a genetically identical tree to one that you like. If you have a tree that produces really good fruit and you want another one that's identical to it, grafting is a way that you can take that tree, take a cutting from it, take it over to another set of roots that you like. Once again, you get to choose the roots you want and you graft, you graft it on there and you've basically duplicated that tree. Now, you're, you're choosing whatever roots you want when you, when you graft it over to another set of roots. But as far as the top, you're duplicating that tree. Whereas if you were to save seed and plant the seed from a tree, that's not going to be stable. Many, many trees, if you take the seed from a red apple and plant it, the fruit that's going to grow from that is going to be who knows what. It might produce green apples. It might produce little tiny apples. It might produce, usually it's going to be something inferior to the one that you started with. 
um, but grafting is a way that you can duplicate a tree and get the identical, genetically identical tree, get another one. It can regulate the size of tree, and I won't talk too much about that, but rootstock selection can determine how big your tree is ultimately going to grow, especially with things like apples. Um, depending on what roots you select, um, you may get a tree that grows 20 feet tall or you may get a tree that grows 10 feet tall. So it can do that as well. These are just different things that grafting can influence. Grafting is usually done within the same species. Generally, you graft apples onto apples. Um, you graft pears onto pears. Generally speaking, there are, there are, there are people who do some, who do some crossing. Um, to a large extent, it's not even possible, but there are some things that, some grafts that will take between certain fruits. But generally, as a rule of thumb, just think within the same species. You can graft any apple onto any apple and any pear onto any pear. And ultimately, grafting is easily done at home. It's not something I'm going to talk about in this class, but for those of you who th you're thinking it's a big technical thing, you, maybe you have a tree in your neighborhood that you would like to duplicate, but you think that grafting is going to be real complicated. It's really not. It's something you can do to propagate your own fruit trees and, um, and ultimately duplicate trees that are doing well in your area. Okay, and this is the last slide I have about grafting. It's just talking a little bit about the implications of grafting. As I've talked about, grafting is the concept of interchangeable parts. So you're choosing a scion, you're choosing a rootstock. What that means is that when you go shopping for a fruit tree, you're ultimately choosing two trees when you buy a tree. You're choosing roots and you're choosing the scion, the top of the tree. And if you're careful about it, you can, you can be strategic and go shopping for roots and scion of your tree. You can shop for them separately and then go find the place that has them combined in the tree in the, so that you have, you're not only looking for a red delicious, but you're looking for a red delicious on a certain root system that does well in your area. And uh, that's just some of the implications of grafting. But I'm going to move on and we're going to talk a little bit about planting an orchard. Specifically, we're going to talk about evaluating your site. We're going to talk about identifying your enemies. And then we're going to talk about observation, the importance of looking around you. Evaluating your site. Four things. And first of those is... Be flexible with your location. And what I mean by this is that if you have a piece of property or you're looking for property, it is very valuable to put some thought into where you're going to put your orchard, not only for beauty's sake and for convenience, but also for what is the soil characteristic of that site. Um, what is the microclimate of that site? Um, and the reason I say this is because when you select a site that is of poor quality, because maybe it's close to the house or maybe you're deciding based on other things, there are other things in the picture, I realize that, but you may spend the next 15 years doing work to correct the soil and you may still never get the soil as good as you would have had if you just chose a spot a few thousand feet away. 
So, it, so being flexible with your site and choosing a site that is, that is really suited to tree growth in the beginning will just start you out a long ways ahead. Next, I want to introduce the idea of USDA zones. Um, a lot of you may be familiar with this. It's actually um, it's quite simple, but it's also very important. And USDA zones, the United States is divided into zones based on minimum winter temperature. So, for example, we live right about here. That's in Tennessee. And our zone is a zone roughly 6B. And basically what that means is we can expect on the coldest winter to have the temperatures drop down to about negative 5. Um, you could find yourself on this map. Um, down here we are in, what does it look like, 9A. And I would have to look at to see what that translates into. But basically that's telling us what the minimum winter temperature on the coldest winter would be in this area. So the idea of USDA zones, the, the US is divided into these zones. Each zone uh, correlates to a minimum winter temperature. And when you go shopping for fruit trees, they will tell you what zones those fruit trees grow in. Um, maybe it'll say zone six to nine. That means the tree, if you're in zone six to nine, that tree should theoretically survive the winter in your area. Now, um, it'll also tell you if you're, in, if you're too warm. For example, many fruit trees may grow in zones um, four, through, four through seven. You wouldn't want to plant those here because you're in zone nine. It's just, it's just going to be, you're not going to have enough cool weather to support those trees. And this is, this is quite basic. This is only talking about tree growth. It doesn't necessarily, mainly talking about tree growth, it isn't necessarily telling you if that tree is going to fruit well in your area, but it is telling you whether that tree will theoretically survive the winter in your area. So it's quite basic, but, it, but it's also fundamental. If a tree isn't designed for your growing zone, um, it's probably not worth uh, planting. Okay, microclimate considerations. This is another thing regarding site that you'll want to consider, and this is something you're going to get a feel for over time. For example, we are in zone 6B. That's our USDA zone. But there are considerations that we have to take into account specific to our unique area that are very important. For example, um, what elevation are you at? If you're at the top of a hill, um, aside from wind, if you're in a sheltered location but you're at a higher elevation and you have valleys below you, it's likely going to be warmer up there. On cold nights in spring, you're going to have a little bit of warmth, warmer up there because the cold air drains down low. These are the kind of things that are microclimates. They're specific to your, your exact location. Um, other things are, is it an urban or suburban setting? In general, urban areas are a little bit warmer. And you might even be able to get, get away with some trees in an urban setting that you couldn't get away with out in the country. Do you have a slope? What direction? Are you working with buildings? If you have buildings, you might have some... Um, shelter that you can take advantage take advantage of and these are things you'll learn nuances that you will learn over time but I will illustrate this this is from our property um, after the first the first frost one year we went out to our property we had pepper plants planted down near the house site and we had pepper plants planted up on the hill about 80 feet of elevation difference 
And as you can see here, after this night, the pepper plants up on the hill were still green. Pepper plants down 80 feet lower were basically dead. And it's just 80 feet of elevation difference, but it shows you that the, the microclimate has an effect. And if you can take advantage of that and plant, plant on an area with slight, slight bit of elevation, that few degrees you get um, may mean the, it may make the difference between having a crop and not having a crop when you have spring freezes. Okay, um, I believe this is the last site characteristic and we're talking about soil characteristics here. Uh, key questions to ask, do you have a healthy topsoil? Is your soil currently supporting na uh, lush native vegetation? And I'll make one comment here. Um, a mistake you don't want to make is to find your property and look for the area that is easiest to clear. Because likely the area that is easiest to clear will be growing the, little, the least amount of vegetation because it's the poorest soil. So you don't want to necessarily do that. If, you're, if you have an area that's growing lush vegetation, it might be harder to clear, but um, that's going to mean you have good soil for your fruit trees as well. What's your soil pH? That's a little bit in the realm of soil science, and it's, it's pretty basic soil science to know what your soil pH is, but that, that's something that you'll want to know. Um, does your soil drain? That's pretty basic as well. If you live in a swampy area, um, or I should say, if you're considering a swampy area to plant your to plant your orchard, you will probably want to either look for another area, or else you're going to be pretty limited in what's going to grow in that soil. And a soil test um, and subsequent amendments may be prudent as prudent as well. I have a little website there on the screen for those of you who want to delve deeper into soil science. Um, I really respect Mr. Bob Gregory, BereaGardens.com. He is quite knowledgeable about soil science and all of that. Um, he talks about a lot of it in terms of gardening, but the same principles apply in the orchard, and your, your orchard will benefit from whatever you're able to do as in the realm of soil science and balancing your soil. Okay. I'm going to need to move on a little bit here. Okay, we're going to talk about identify your enemies, and this is very important. Orchards come with a set of challenges that are distinct from the vegetable garden, um, and this is something you're going to realize as you start growing an orchard. Orchards, in a way, are harder than a vegetable garden. You can't rotate an orchard. You can't rotate for pests, so the pests build up in the same soil. Um, there are many things, in my experience, they can just be more pest prone depending on what you're growing. So you need to identify your enemies and knowing these challenges will help you proceed um, intelligently. Ask local fruit growers what the issues in your area are. Um, if you talk to people in our area, people know that spring frosts are a big issue and trees bloom in the spring and then a frost comes and kills the bloom and the tree does beautifully but there's no fruit so that's an issue in our area and knowing that issue as you go into your orchard can help you plant and set up infrastructure whatever you need to do so you can overcome that it's very important okay case study i just talked about it late frosts in our area trees bloom early like this and then they get killed um Here's another case study, cedar apple rust. This is a big apple disease in our area. 
we were very grateful we knew that this was a disease in our area ahead of time before we planted our trees and we bought trees that were resistant to it I've never seen the disease in our orchard because we knew ahead of time that we needed to buy trees that were resistant I've seen lots of cedar apple rust in the area but it's never hit our trees you can see my sister there with apple trees uh, with apples uh, one of our apple trees and um, we still have a lot of growth in some areas, things we could learn, but this is one area that we were really grateful. We knew ahead of time that we needed to look for cedar apple, apple rust resistance. Now here's another example from my orchard where things didn't go as well, and I learned. This is a nectarine tree. Um, nectarines are plagued by pests in our area, and we had heard some things about it, but we were just you know excited, and we planted them anyway. And as you can see there, those are little young nectarines um, riddled by insect damage. And so that's something that we didn't plan well and, and either we have to spray these trees or they don't produce nectarines. Um, so planning ahead, knowing these things will go a long ways. Yes, don't get discouraged. It's still very possible to grow fruit in, I would say in most areas, you just have to know, know what, know what you're doing and do have a little bit of strategy to it okay look around you what successes do you see around you and what do you see in the natural flora what I'm gonna talk about here is the concept of um, the concept of being observant and looking around you as far as what is doing well in your area what is growing in the natural environment um, and the first thing I'm going to talk about is observe local successes what fruit trees are successfully producing in your area um, you can talk to old-timers this is one of the one of the best things to do as you look around you you will see fruit trees maybe someone's having success with apples or maybe they're having success with pears whatever it may be and um, those are things to really take note of. There is a reason that local trees are thriving and um, you will be able to learn from that and either buy trees that are similar or po possibly propagate your own trees from the ones that are doing well. Talking to old timers goes a long ways. You can find old gardeners um, and just figure out what's doing well. What tree did grandma plant that is now 100 years old and still producing? That's the kind of thing we're talking about. And just to illustrate that, these are trees that were in our um, place we were renting. They're pear trees, and they haven't been taken care of for a long time. But as you can see, um, many years they still produce loads of pears. And um, this is some of the first experience we had to fruit when we moved into our area. We came in, and this pear tree on the right had pears on it. And to this day, excuse me, to this day, pears are one of the best things in our area. And um, we, we could have realized that up front, and we did sort of realize that just by looking at, looking at these trees that were doing well. Okay, this is something that I really would like to drive home because this is a key component of a wild orchard, and that is observe wild plants. It's one of the most critical steps in developing a wild orchard. And when I say wild plants, I use the term wild because I'm not only talking about native plants. 
I'm talking about any fruit tree relative that you have growing in your area. I showed you a picture of the wild pear earlier. In our area, we have wild pears. Now, they don't produce pears, except they might produce pears that are the size of, of my thumb, but they, what they're telling us is this area supports pears. And that's the kind of thing, um, that's the kind of thing we're looking for to give us clues as to what's going to do well. Maybe we have wild apples in our area. The apples may produce poor apples that we don't, that we don't want, but what that tells us is, okay, apples are doing well and we can go find apple varieties that produce better fruit and plant them and we have an environment that's going to support healthy apple growth. We could even potentially get those wild trees and graft onto them, graft apples that produce good fruit. And I want to I want to give you some examples. For those of you who live in the east, at least in the southeast, um, we have wild persimmons. And this is actually a good picture of wild persimmons. Many of them don't produce fruit that are this good, but some of them produce decent fruit. But from the perspective of a wild orchard, you can look at those wild persimmons and say, I can learn something here. There's something to learn from this, from this existence of these trees that are growing without sprays and without, um, without any special care um, and believe it or not these are persimmons that are growing um, along our road these are the cultivated counterpart the wild the wild persimmons do very well and indeed there are cultivated persimmons that do very well in the southeast they don't get diseases um, they are graft compatible with the native ones which means you can graft these cultivated ones onto the native rootstock and you actually you literally have wild tree roots with the top that produces beautiful fruit so this is just an example of wild orchard identifying in the in the wild trees that you can harness or you can learn from in having success in your orchard that is for fruit production another example these are muscadine grapes wild muscadine grapes growing along our um, our road, our driveway out to our property. And not surprisingly, in our area, cultivated muscadine grapes grow as well. And of course, the fruit is much better on the cultivated ones. The wild ones are, are small and the, the skin is almost, almost like, a, it's real leathery, really hard, to, really hard to enjoy. But the cultivated ones still have a thick skin, but they are much, much improved over the, over the wild ones. And I have a few more examples here. We have wild pawpaw in our areas. Um, some of them produce good fruit, some of them don't. But not surprisingly, cultivated pawpaw grow very, can potentially do quite well in our area as well. These were some actually in Virginia um, at Polyface Farm. I took that picture and they, uh, they do very well in our area as well. So you have this, you have this counterpart, you have a wild tree wild persimmons you have cultivated persimmons that do very well you have wild pears cultivated pears do very well in our area blueberries do very well and we have wild blueberries growing so it's this um it's learning from the wild again that's a wild pear cultivated pears and lastly after you've done all this research um, you've evaluated your site 
you have, um, what were the other things I talked about? Observed the, the native flora, the trees that were already doing well in your area. You're going to need to implement what you learn. And there are three steps, at least three steps that I have written out here. The first is to make site modifications. You will need to make some site modifications, um, even when you choose good trees and good um, rootstocks. It's, it's just a given that you're going to need to cultivate the soil and, and do, do your part in making site modifications. You'll need to select trees carefully, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And finally, you'll be planting and then planning for future care. What, what, it's, what that's going to involve, what your yearly routine is going to look like, and those kind of things. Okay, so make site modifications. Soil modification. And earlier I talked about the importance of site selection. And when, when it comes to soil modification, you will largely be reaping the fruit of that site selection. Because... If you selected a site that has a deep, fertile soil, your soil fertility, whatever you do for soil fertility is going to go a lot farther, and you're not going to have to do quite as much. Um, I would still recommend doing something. I, would, I think that it's important that we um, do our part in taking care of the soil, but you're going, to be, you're going to be starting way ahead of the game if you have selected a good site. Now I have a link up there. We planted a lot of trees using the Ellen White planting method. And many of you may have heard of that, but basically um, Mrs. White received in a vision some, I believe it was some principles for planting fruit trees. And there have been uh, Mr. Lynn Hoag, he has promoted this a lot. And there's been a method developed that implements some of those principles in planting your fruit tree and there's lots of information online about that it involves digging a big three foot by three foot hole and I would recommend that I think that that's an excellent place to start I put one YouTube video up there for those of you who want to watch that video but if you look up the Ellen White planting method for fruit trees there's there's loads of information about it so this is an excellent place to start but one thing I will say is that if your soil is very poor the Ellen White planting method is wonderful, but it won't substitute for good soil. So if you have poor soil, the tree, is, even though you dig a three by three hole with the Ellen White planting method, your tree is, the roots are only going to stay in that hole for maybe a year or two. So once you go beyond that first year or two, your tree is dependent on the soil around it. And if you have poor soil around it, um, the the three by three hole is not going to fully compensate for that. So you're still going to need to address the soil around it if, if you have poor soil to start with. Soil, like I put up there on the slide, soil testing may be required along with pH adjustment and nutrition management. And I put the bereagardens.org website there because once again, that's Mr. Bob Gregory's website. And he he has had a long history in in agriculture and um, was in it as his life work for many many years and, and he's still doing it on his farm there in West Virginia so I would recommend his resources if you're interested in diving into the whole realm of soil science 
It can seem daunting, but um, if you're ready to go into that, I would recommend his resources and your orchard will certainly benefit from it. Deer protection. If you're, depending on where you live, deer protection will be very important. If you, it also depends on what you're planting. For example, pears, trees, um, plum trees, depending on what you're planting, um, deer may really keep those trees from getting off the ground at all. If you don't have it fenced, some trees, some trees will not, um, are not tasteful to deer and the deer will not eat the tree, but they may eat the fruit. So if you're, if you're looking at a tree that doesn't, for example, persimmons, they don't really eat the, the leaves of persimmons, but, um, I believe that they could, they could get the fruit. So especially with a small tree, if you're looking at a really tall tree and you just want to protect it for a few years, let it get off the ground, um, that's one thing. But, but think about that. Think about your deer situation and what you're planting and long term, how that's going to play out. Okay, selecting trees. Like I said, you're often making two decisions when you buy a tree. You're choosing the rootstock and you're choosing the scion. So... I'll just reiterate, you're going, you, you think you're just buying a red delicious tree, and in a sense you are, but really you're making two decisions, because um, they're going to put that red delicious on some form of root, and if you know what you're looking for, you'll be able to choose the root it goes on. If you don't, you'll still get a red delicious tree, but you, you'll just have a little more edge if you know to shop for the roots you want as well. Choose trees that are based on what, on the observations you've made and the research you've done. What are your site characteristics? Um, if you have wet soil, you'll want to look for trees that can, that can tolerate that. Um, what are the enemies you're avoiding? This is really key. Maybe you've determined that there's a certain disease in your area. Like I said, in our area, we have cedar apple rust. Um, and you're going to have to talk to locals to figure out what are the main diseases in my area. And um, so as you're choosing trees, you're going to be looking for trees that are resistant to that. Either you'll be looking for species that don't get that. For example, um, persimmons don't get cedar apple rust at all. Peaches, plums, none of those get cedar apple rust. Or you'll be looking for apples, which do get cedar apple rust. You'll be looking for varieties that don't get cedar apple rust. You can go about it either way. Um, you'll be incorporating what trees are thriving in your area and what is growing in the wild. These are all things that will influence your tree selection. And I also want to say that you should seriously consider propagating your own trees. This is something that is not difficult. It's not difficult at all. And what it does is it allows you to create your own custom tree. You can take, for example, you have, and I, I've, I've done this, you have a wild tree, a wild pear tree, a little, a little seedling wild pear tree growing in the woods. You can actually go dig up that pear tree. That pear tree is adapted to your climate because it's growing in your, in your backyard. You can go dig up that pear tree, plant it in your orchard, and if you know how to graft, you can find a pear tree that's producing excellent fruit, Maybe uh, a mile away, there's an old tree that's 100 years old and you can get some cuttings from that and you can graft it onto your tree. Now you have a tree that is 
a, a variety that produces well in your area and you have it growing on roots that you pulled out of the woods. So it's, it's a custom tree that is, that is really ready to do well in your area. These are the kinds of things you can do if you know how to propagate your own. Um, you can also grow rootstocks from seeds. For example, persimmon trees in the southeast here are often grown on wild persimmon rootstocks. So they just, what they do is they just collect persimmon seeds from the, um, either they'll do it from the wild or, or they might have trees planted specifically for the purpose of producing seeds. But you can collect persimmon seeds, plant those seeds, and those will be rootstock for the persimmons that you want to grow. So it's definitely worth uh, considering propagating your own fruit trees. You can also, uh, another, another version of propagating you can do is rooting cuttings because there are a few trees that aren't grafted. For example, fig trees are often not grafted. Um, grapes, in many cases, are not grafted, and those you can just propagate from cuttings. It's quite simple to do. Um, ultimately, your goal is to get a tree that has strong roots, a productive canopy, good levels of resistance, and good levels of resistance to local diseases. Um, I put something there about if you select wild fruit trees or their counterparts, you will benefit from increased levels of local adaption. The concept of a wild orchard. Okay, on the screen here, I have three nurseries that I would recommend, especially if you live in this climate. In the southeast, um, Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, um, largely anywhere in the east. These are three nurseries that I would really recommend. The first one, um, well, both of the, the first two, these, these are all nurseries I would recommend. They, they have a lot of the trees that are unique and that grow well in this climate. So Edible Landscapings in Virginia, Isons Nursery is in Georgia, um, One Green World, that's in Oregon. Um, because as you learn what trees do well in, in your specific area, um, I'm talking specifically about the southeast with these, with these nurseries, um, you're going to be looking at trees that are maybe not mainstream. Um, for example, persimmon trees do really well in this area. Muscadine grapes, um, pawpaw trees. Those are trees that you don't get as easily from the big commercial growers that are grow used to growing you know, peaches and apples or you won't get as much selection, but these nurseries have a lot of those trees that you'll be looking for and they have a good selection of them. Okay, um, planting and planting. You will want to plant your trees during the dormant season. That's when trees don't have leaves. As you can see there, I guess it's the next slide coming up. Um, that's gonna be this time of year when the trees don't have leaves. Trees can tolerate a lot of abuse when they are dormant. Um, if you take a sapling and rip it up out of the ground by the roots during the winter and replant it, chances are it will survive. They can take a lot of abuse when they're dormant. And so your trees will survive much better when you plant them during the dormant season. Um, you'll need to keep your tree, you need to keep your trees well watered during the first season, prepare for management practices. Okay. So here's, here's a picture. This is the slide that actually talked about the dormant, dormant planting. You can see me there with planting a tree. As you can see, it doesn't have leaves on it. That's in the dormant season. 
Um, if you're in a cold climate, you might consider planting in spring after the, after the worst of the cold is over. When the trees are still dormant, but after the worst of the cold is over, but still it'll be the dormant season. And you'll want to prune aggressively when you plant. When you dig a tree, when the nursery digs a tree, it will have lost a lot of roots. And if you don't prune it, if the nursery didn't prune it, and if you don't prune it aggressively when you plant it, you kind of have an unbalanced tree because it lost a lot of roots in digging, and now you plant it, and it still has full-size top on it. It just is not going to take off and grow like it, like you really want it to. So I would go ahead and cut it, cut it back aggressively. Most trees are cut down to about 30 inches, 28 inches when they're planted. At least if if they're a single shoot, uh, called a whip. If they're a single shoot, they're called they're cut down to about that level. And don't be afraid to do that. Your tree will grow. If you have good soil, it will more than overcome whatever you cut off. It, trees are very resilient, so you don't need to be afraid to do that. And of course, you want to water them very well at planting. And throughout the season, the first season is the most important when it comes to watering. One, one dry spell can, can wipe out your tree, but also um, chronically waterlogged soils can cause, can cause trouble as well. So. Um, I would recommend that for that first season, you will want to check them every four or five days and water them as needed. Of course, if you have rain, you might not need to water them, but at least keep tabs on it that first season. Second season, um, in our area, I don't usually have to water at all the second season. Um, and beyond that, I really don't water at all. Now, that's going to depend partly on your climate. I know that out in California, um, they have to set up irrigation systems. It's, it's basically mandatory to set up irrigation systems long term because they just don't get the water like we get in Tennessee. But that first season, even the southeast here where you get a lot of rain, uh, make sure you keep your trees watered. And then preparing for management. If you live in the east here um, or any of the other parts of the east, pruning, I would just consider it a wintertime activity. Um, every winter you go in, you make your cuts to, to sh open up the tree for sunlight. Sunlight penetration is one of the biggest things. It's easy, it's easy for a tree to turn into a thicket and that harbors disease and insects. You want, you want your tree to be open and airy and so you'll go in and make those cuts to thin it out during the winter time when it has no leaves. Um, you're going to want to get your limbs to spread out that's important with many trees, but some trees tend to shoot for the sky more and the, the limbs have to be pruned or, or trained outward. And, and depending on your choice of tree and your disease pressure, there may be certain, um, there may be certain disease management things you have to incorporate and plan for. I just included this slide. It has uh, three diagrams for general fruit tree shape. In general, fruit trees are propagated, or I should say trained to one of, of two or three templates. I'll call them templates. The first one on the left there is called a central leader. And basically with a central leader, your tree is going to have a center stalk that's gonna go up 
and it's going to have branches coming off the side um, at intervals. And trees like pears and often apples are trained to this system. You can see it on the left there. On the right, far right, we have the other extreme. Um, this is an open vase shape. Peaches, nectarines, a lot of the stone fruits are pruned to this shape. And it's just a general template where you want the center of the tree to be open. Um, you want the majority of the branches to be around the outside. And in the middle, we kind of have a hybrid of the two. There are a few trees that are pruned that way. I have a picture here. This is just a tree in my orchard the other day. I did this uh, for the picture, actually. I went in and put some spreaders, limb spreaders. Um, these are ways that you can help trees that are sending all their branches straight up to the sky. You can cut pieces of wood and cut a little notch in each side of the wood, and you wedge those you wedge those pieces of wood in your tree between branches to help spread the branches out so that your tree doesn't doesn't just go straight up and you can also buy buy pieces of uh, plastic wedges that you can put in there like that limb spreaders okay finally I wanted to make a couple notes on pest management um, and personally I don't have I don't have a lot of experience with spraying for pests. Um, I would recommend if you need to spray for pests that you look at Ison's Nursery. That was one of the, the nurseries I recommended as far as buying plants from. And they offer on their website conventional spray schedules. This is for conventional spray. So if you are going to go with conventional spray, they will give you some of the basic conventional sprays to use at least in this area they'll have it crop by crop they'll have peaches what they recommend for peaches what they recommend for other crops and you can just go on their website and look at that um, of course that's conventional so that's going to be using whatever is the the conventionally used pesticides for those of you interested in organic ma management I would recommend that you look at kaolin clay I think I'm pronouncing that right. It is something that's sold under the trade name Surround, and it's a product that is used to combat one of the biggest pests in the East, which is, uh, it's called Plum Curculio. And like I said, I have not done a lot with implementing the whole program, but I do know that this has been a breakthrough in the East for organic growers struggling with this pest that causes a lot of problems on apples and peaches and and some of those so if you're interested in organic in organic fruit trees and you need to spray and you have trees that require spraying um, I would look into that and once again fruit, uh, fruit tree selection many trees if you select carefully many trees will not require sprays at all this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.